Welcome to Blind Date with Knowledge. This is a weekly half-hour talk show featuring Queen's University researchers and scholars. The show seeks to unravel the dynamic world of research at the university by discussing the significance to and benefits of research on everyday lives. I'm Barry Kaplan, the show's host. Blind Date with Knowledge is broadcast on CFRC Radio, 101.9 FM, Campus and Community Queens Radio in Kingston, located in Carruthers Hall. All the episodes of Blind Date with Knowledge are available on the CFRC website or the Queen's University Research website at queensu.ca research. Today, my guest is John McGarry. John McGarry was born in Belfast and brought up in Northern Ireland. He graduated from Trinity College, Dublin in 1979 with a BA Honours in History and Politics. In 1981, he immigrated to Canada, where he pursued an MA and PhD in political science at the University of Western Ontario, from which he graduated in 1987. In 2010, McGarry was elected as a Fellow of the Royal Society of Canada. In 2011, he received one of the three prestigious Trudeau Fellowship Prizes granted across Canada. In 2013, he was awarded the Killam Prize of Social Sciences by the Canada Council, the first political scientist to have received this honour. In the same year, he received the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal from the Governor-General. In 2014, the Royal Society of Canada awarded McGarry the Innes Guerin Medal for his distinguished contributions to the literature of the social sciences. In 2016, he was the co-winner of the Distinguished Scholar Award for the, from the Ethnicity, Nationalism and Migration Section of the International Studies Association, was awarded the Molson Prize, Social Sciences and Humanities, by the Canada Council for the Arts and Sciences and Humanities Research Council, and was appointed an officer of the Order of Canada. Since resuming his full-time academic duties in June 2009, McGarry has worked as the part-time senior advisor on governance to the United Nations-led negotiations in Cyprus, and has also advised the UN on the conflict in Yemen. John, a very impressive, <laughs> a very impressive uh, a set of accomplishments over the course of your life. I'm curious to find out if you've seen through all this experience commonalities uh, related to conflict and conflict resolution. Okay, uh, thank you very much for that introduction. Um, I should point out at the outset that the kind of conflict that I'm involved with uh, and most interested in is is uh, what might be called ethnic conflict. It's, it's about uh, largely about civil wars that take place within states. Now, uh, th- that just happens to be the most pressing kind of conflict that's going on in the world at the moment. Uh, but it should be distinguished from what we might call conventional conflicts between states or something like the Second World War, for example. But the, the conflicts I, I, I'm talking about are conflicts like the one in Syria, uh, the, the one in the Middle East uh, between Palestinians and Israelis, Yemen, Rwanda, Bosnia, Northern Ireland, and also the conflict going on in Ukraine at the moment. All of these conflicts are, in, in, in fact, there's civil wars mainly, although they also have an important international dimension to them. Uh, but but the, the, their internal component uh, involves disagreements between ethnic communities. And uh, these, uh, I think, 
to answer the question of the what's common, uh, what's common is um, that one of these communities perceives itself as getting uh, the short end of the stick, a bad deal repressed. It feels that its culture is not treated fairly. It, they feel that their communities, people are second-class citizens. They are excluded from uh, the central government. They are ruled over rather than self-ruling. Uh, they find themselves discriminated against economically, socially, etc. And uh, then frequently the, these communities will call out to friendly countries outside to help them. And this brings in the international dimension. And, and things spiral uh, generally from there. But, but the, I would say exclusion and uh, unfair treatment, or you might just want to say injustice, is something that's common to all of these conflicts. Can you describe a successful conflict resolution? It would, it would seem to me that gaining the trust of the conflicting parties would be a very difficult thing. Uh, how, how do you how do you start the process and and uh... well yeah it's it, it's not that difficult for outsiders to get the trust of the um, internal parties. It's a lot more difficult for them to trust each other. Uh, and uh, you know a, an example of a successful uh, conflict resolution. I would say that it, it's you know my native home which is Northern Ireland, uh, where up between 1969 and 1998, somewhere in the region of 3,500 people were killed, somewhere in the region of uh, 50,000 injured. Uh, that was one in 30 of the population, roughly speaking. So almost everyone had a family member or friend who was uh, killed. Uh, the British Army uh, lost somewhere in the region of 850 soldiers there, which is more than they lost in Afghanistan and Iraq and the first the Gulf War and in the Falkland Islands combined. Uh, lots of policemen killed too, 300, uh, over 300 officers in a force of five or 6,000 people. Highest death rate in the world to be a policeman in Northern Ireland during the 70s and 80s. You had a one in eight chance of being killed if you served in the police service for 30 years. Uh, now, uh, if we step forward from the agreement that was reached in Northern Ireland in 1998, we find that virtually no, <coughs> me, no one has been killed at the moment. There hasn't been a single soldier killed since 1998, and there have been two policemen killed since then. So this is what we might call a remarkable, uh, remarkably successful peace process. Why, why did it come about? Well, essentially, we ended up uh, with the a, just go back to what I said about the cause of conflict, injustice we, we ended up with a constitutional dispensation that was fair to both communities which, they, which didn't hurt either of them, that protected both of their uh, identities and this is called the Good Friday Agreement so we ended up with, instead of Protestants governing Catholics in Northern Ireland, we had Protestants and Catholics governing together in a power-sharing government. Uh, instead of discrimination, we've got uh, equality laws, etc. 
Uh, we've got a police force that is no longer seen as representing one community, it's now seen as representing both communities. And Northern Ireland, instead of just being linked to the United Kingdom, which suited Protestants, is now also linked to the Republic of Ireland, which suits nationalists. So we ended up with this sort of balanced, fair dispensation. Now, I think I should point out that that's, that's really only half of the equation because it's, it's, you, can come up, you can come up with what is fair and, and you, 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 you can know intrinsically what is fair, but it's getting the sides to agree on it. And, and for the sites to agree on it, they really have to see agreement as better than the status quo. And both of them have to see it at the same time. And if you uh, don't have that situation, it really doesn't matter how people like me, uh, you know, institutional designers, you know, we can come in and we can show them what a perfectly fair arrangement looks like. And they will say, well, no, we prefer, one of them will say, no, we prefer our current arrangement to that, and we're not interested. So you, you, need, you need to have both things uh, operating, yeah. Let me jump in there. You had mentioned uh, at the beginning of uh, your response to the question about success uh, that it wasn't difficult in the case of Northern Ireland that there was a, a willingness to, to yes. resolve, and perhaps even a legitimacy in who's representing the views. In the world today, we have... Syria, we have uh, North Korea, and places where you think there's like intransigent uh, people who are not willing to come to the table or uh, don't want to speak the same kind of language or not the same ideology. What do you do in situations like that? Well, it, it is very, very difficult in some cases. Some cases are much more difficult than others. For example, if you have uh, uh, multiple groups uh, and, and some of them don't want to be involved in the negotiations, they can spoil things from outside by keeping the violence going, keeping tempers frayed and preventing moderates from reaching compromises. So that's very difficult. But it alludes to what I was just going to say earlier, that you, you in order to get a settlement, you 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 need not just a fair arrangement, which is easy enough to design. You you need the sides to want to reach an agreement, and 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 in Northern Ireland, this is what happened. I mean, they were fighting for years and years, decades even, and they realized they weren't getting anywhere. Uh, the the states that were involved in the conflict, uh, the United Kingdom, Republic of Ireland, etc. Uh, managed to get together, cooperate. There was a sort of hurting stalemate on the ground. People began to f become fed up with this uh, violence and they wanted something better and they wanted it at the same time. Now, the, the problem in places like Syria is that we, we, we don't have that yet. Uh, there's, there's no stalemate there which affects all sides. Unfortunately, uh, President Assad, uh, a very brutal uh, dictator, uh, uh, was on the uh, uh, floor a few years ago and, and might have been prepared to engage in negotiations, but in the intervening two or three years, he's been backed by Russia, backed by Iran, backed by Hezbollah and Lebanon, and now he's on the ascendancy again. Uh, uh, the people he's fighting against are on the run, and America is standing back from this. Obama famously drew this line in the sand, and then when the Syrian regime crossed over it, he didn't do anything. Trump hasn't done anything either. Uh, so unless there's a, 
uh, uh, a hurting stalemate which uh, makes people like Assad want to come to the table, it's it's really pointless uh, trying. This is why there's no serious peace negotiations going on there at the moment, because he thinks he can win militarily. One of the goals for Blind Date with Knowledge is to demystify scholarly research and to personalize researchers. As a way of making this goal real for us, I ask every guest on the show to tell us a joke, recite a short poem or inspirational quotation, or reference a song related to the research or the researcher's motivation. So, John, the microphone is yours. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, was, I was just saying to some friends later that uh, I have no, no problem thinking of jokes, but it's much more difficult to think of one that I can tell on air. Uh, but I managed to think of one, and it relates to uh, the Middle Eastern conflict. Of course, I've dealt with some really intractable conflicts over the years, uh, and there's none more intractable than this one between Israelis uh, and Palestinians. And uh, one of the sites of this conflict, of course, is the Old City and the uh, holy sites in the Old City. And just in in recent weeks, uh, of course, there's been a lot of violence around uh what is called the the Western Wall, the, the Jewish site, which uh, is is uh, part of a retaining wall for for what Muslims regard as uh, an extremely holy site for them too. Uh, so my my joke is about this journalist who goes to observe people at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, and. Uh, he sees this rabbi, old rabbi, there every day praying to this wall for hours and hours and hours. And the next day, the rabbi's back again, and the day after that. And the journalist is really intrigued by this guy's sense of commitment, and he decides to interview him, and he says, uh, Rabbi, I've noticed you've been coming here day after day. Why? What are you praying for? And he says, uh, well, you know, Shalom, I'm, I'm praying for peace uh, between between uh, Palestinians and, and Jews. And the journalist says to him, well, you know, that must be that must be very frustrating for you because your 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 prayers haven't been uh, uh, rewarded. Uh, and the rabbi turned around to him and said, Yes, he says, it's a bit like talking to a brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Well anyway, yeah. And a nice clean joke as well. So. <laughs> so that's great, John. You gave us a clean joke and a funny joke and an insightful joke all at the same time. That's okay. a, a triple a triple win. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, John. Uh, my guest in this episode of Blind Date with Knowledge has been John McGarry, professor of political science at Queen's University. If you have a question about anything related to research that you would like discussed by our guests, or if you have comments about today's conversation with John McGarry, please email me, Barry Kaplan, at bdwk at cfrc.ca. Thank you for tuning in. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. 
CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.